of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. This is Thursday, May the 24th, and we appreciate you tuning in to the Virtual Bible Study. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts of the Virtual Bible Study, and I'm flying solo here tonight, at least at the controls. Jacob is, uh, my son Jacob, who's also regularly on the program, is out of town this evening, and so I'm trying to make all the technical connections and uh, get the program out over the air. I think we're going out. It looks to me like we are. You might send me an email and say, hey, I got you here. I hear you. Uh, but we're glad that you're listening tonight. I do have a, a guest with me on the program. He's been on before, and he's a very important person around here at the College of Church of Christ. Arthur Haynes, one of our elders, is joining me tonight on the program. Arthur, welcome. Good to be here. Enjoy, the, without a doubt, the study of God's Word on any occasion. We're glad that uh, you're here, Arthur, and we look forward to your input. We have an important and interesting subject that we want to try to tackle tonight. You know, we've been doing the virtual Bible study. Come July, we will have been doing the virtual Bible study every week for two years. And so we're approaching the 100th episode of the virtual Bible study. And yet we have never actually taken on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And so we decided we better do that, Arthur. It seems like it's a th- time to talk about that. Yeah, and I've, I've thought about it in time past why you hadn't. But, you know, this is such a highly controversial subject with so many people having different ideas as to what truth is. And I, I'm just inclined to believe that many times it's just preconceived ideas or because of some loved one that we want to make justification for them and and our interpretation of the scriptures. Well, it's a difficult subject. It's a very emotional subject. There are so many people who are involved in situations where they have a, um, you know, either in their own life, there's some issue with marriage, divorce, remarriage, or some family member, some close loved one, or some acquaintance. And it really strikes close to home, and a lot of people uh, are, are very sensitive about the subject. A lot of people don't like to hear it discussed. And unfortunately, Arthur, it seems to be the case that in most religious organizations, they don't even they don't ever discuss that. Uh, people with marriage problems are welcomed in with open arms, and no questions are asked, and and uh, it's sort of an uh, a taboo subject, and you're not supposed to talk about it. And unfortunately, even some of our own brethren have gotten to the point where they don't like to hear it discussed and pretty much just leave it alone. But if we're going to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, we can't do that. That's very true. And, you know, I guess a lot of reasons, you know, I would say many reasons, or one of the reasons that they don't want to talk about is the fact that uh, Greg just mentioned there. It's something that uh, involves family member, close ties, and, uh, you know, they just don't want to hear it a lot of times, I'm afraid. Well, I believe that's right, and so we're going to take it on tonight, uh, not not that we necessarily enjoy doing so. You know, I never enjoy having to talk about a subject that, that really uh, can be emotional or difficult for people to accept. You know, you, if you had your druthers, you'd rather just not uh, just be able to say it's not a problem. Nobody's got this problem, but lots of people have this problem, and therefore it needs to be addressed. People need to know God's truth on this subject, and it's being generally ignored in the in the world at large, in the religious world specifically, and as I said, unfortunately, even among some of our own brethren, there's just a tendency to ignore the topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, so we're we're going to try it. We could start out, Arthur, by talking about the fact that uh, God is the one who designed marriage, and he designed it for specific needs that human beings have. For instance, the reason why God created a mate for Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 is that he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so when he created Eve for Adam, a primary consideration that went into God's plan for that marriage institution as he began it was the very idea of companionship. It's not good for man to be alone. And so marriage is designed to meet the needs of man in regards to companionship. And we also know that it is in God's plan that marriage would be the the means by which the race would be propagated or continued when he when he created man and woman his first instruction to them in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 was be fruitful and multiply and so marriage provides for the reproduction of the race for the for the rearing of children and so forth and so it it, it accomplishes the, the the reproduction and the and the and the atmosphere in which 
new offspring can be brought into this world and nurtured and brought along. And, of course, I believe the Bible also teaches uh, that the, the marriage relationship is for the lawful satisfaction of sexual desires. God created us as sexual beings. He gave us sexual desire, but he gave us an avenue wherein that can lawfully be satisfied, and that is in the marriage union. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And so in marriage, and in marriage alone, is the place where those... Desires of the humankind are to be satisfied. But this is all according to God's grand design. I believe, Arthur, we can see God's great wisdom in it. Oh, yes, without a doubt you can. And, you know, First Corinthians 7 and verse 2, you know, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. You know, to avoid fornication, God allowed us through marriage to satisfy that sexual desire, which is good and lawful and, and, and acceptable that man have that desire. And it can be satisfied in marriage and marriage alone. And so what we I guess the thing that we want to stress is that certainly marriage is of God. It's designed by God and it's a great blessing from God. And all who would consider marriage and entering into marriage need to understand that that is the case that this is this is of god and it's intended for our blessing but god's plan for marriage has to be followed if we're going to if we're going to receive the blessing then we got to follow his rules and his plan for marriage and uh and and we're going to be talking about that tonight he has a specific plan for marriage you know it almost seems, Arthur, that we should not have to say this when we're talking about marriage and what constitutes a marriage relationship. But in this present age where there's so much emphasis and so much apparent agenda on the part of the very liberal people in our society, the first point probably we need to make about marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. And, Greg, you know what, say 20 or 30 years ago, would this even need to be uh, even said or any emphasis put on that be between a man and a woman? But like you said, in our day and time, you know, it's so controversial, that type thing, you know. But he specifically says there that he made E for Adam. Exactly right. Genesis 2, verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they shall be one flesh. It's between a man and a woman. That's God's plan. It involves leaving from one family unit to begin a new one. It involves a cleaving, literally to join. uh, I think Vine says it means to join fast together, to glue, to cement together. And so when a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife, they're to be bound together. They're supposed to be united together like you'd bond two things together with a strong glue or cement so that they are inseparable and they become one flesh, it says. I think the one flesh statement there has reference not only to the sexual union in marriage, but to the total relationship itself. It is as though we are one person when we are joined to someone in marriage. Now, in regards to marriage, we know that there are also some civil law aspects that need to be adhered to if a, if a man and woman want to be married. For instance, Arthur, if someone comes to you, a, 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 a young man and a young woman comes to you and says, we want to be married, I think one of the things that you would tell them is that they need to go to the courthouse and get a marriage license because we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. That's very true. And we can find this uh, being true there in uh, uh, Romans 13 and verse 1. He said that every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God or ordered of God. And we also find in... um, was it uh, you know First Peter two thirteen through fifteen? Uh, you know the emphasis there is that we're to obey every ordinance of man. We're to obey those as judges or governors or those that have uh, dominion over us or rule over us. We're to obey them, and if we're to obey the laws of the land, then they require you to get a certificate of marriage uh, or go get your marriage license. Then you must follow civil law unless it's in contrary to God's law. Actually, I believe, Arthur, that civil law, for instance, in our case, it would require going to the courthouse and getting a marriage license, and when you're married, filling it out and putting it on file. Now, that wouldn't be the same in every culture. In other words, if you were off in Russia or China or someplace in Africa, that whatever culture you were in, they might come from a, a, a 
You know, they might have different rules, but I submit to you that in every culture, there are rules that identify a person as married. In other words, it might be different, and, it, and admittedly it would be, but every culture has rules in place that, that would distinguish a man and woman as a married couple as versus just two people out here committing fornication. And so in whatever culture we're in, I believe as the people of God, we would be expected to adhere to the cultural requirements or regulations that would identify us as being a married couple. And and God would expect that of us and require that of us. And as Christians, Greg, we must obey the law of the land, as I said, unless it's in contrary to God's will. And like you say, any uh, society recognizes some kind of uh, a ceremony or something in, in, in regard to their being married. Because, can you just think about how it would be if there was no such thing? If you just, uh, just a, a matter of uh, you be my wife, uh, be my husband, and there was no law, no uh, keeping up of that, who was married to who, well, what would it be like? That's why, that's why civilization has, has always had some provision to identify that. And in our case, it would involve the the aspects of the civil law. Uh, Where we live, civil law has a regulation, and we would have to adhere to it. Now, let me ask you this. If if, if, If I can go to the courthouse and get a marriage license, me and this woman, does that necessarily mean that my marriage is right and approved of God? In other words, in other words, I got a marriage license, and in the courthouse, there's a registration of the fact that me and this woman went through this process. Does that necessarily indicate that that's right? It does not, does it? Because man's law often allows what God's law does not. So we we would argue that you need to adhere to civil law, but just adhering to civil law does not mean that you are in a rightful marriage that God approves. Because man's law, unfortunately, oftentimes authorizes things or allows things that God's law does not. And Acts chapter 5, verse 28 says we ought to obey God rather than men. So that's the caveat that we would make there. Uh, we can be married and not be bound. That's right. And we want to talk about that uh, in just a minute. But let's, let's, let's add one more aspect here when we're talking about marriage itself. And by the way, I haven't said this, and it's probably neglect of my part as the host of the program. We, we want your input. If you're listening tonight, we'd love for you to get involved in this. Call us at 931-381-4567 or send us an email. And do that right away. Get in on this discussion. Send us an email at questions at collegeview.com. Again, that's questions at collegeview.com with collegeview spelled C-O-L-L-E-G-E V-U-E, collegeview.com, questions at collegeview.com. We need to hear from you. Get in on this discussion of marriage. We're going to talk about divorce and remarriage as well. Arthur, in a situation where you've got two individuals, uh, a, a man and a woman, who have a right to be married, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, then God joins them. He actually binds them together in that marriage relationship. What does Matthew 19, verse 6 say? It says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. God joins together. And you look at what he talked about in Malachi there. It said that God is a witness of that covenant between that husband and wife, and that he hates divorce. Okay, so God actually, in other words, when a man and a woman make this determination to be married, then and and when, when they personally commit to one another to be married, when they fulfill the requirements of their culture or civil laws, God joins them together in marriage Matthew 19 verse 6 now if two people are not lawful subjects for marriage no matter what they do or say they can't be rightfully married and God will not join them together in in Mark chapter 6 we have a situation uh, and I think Arthur you're probably familiar with that situation in Mark chapter 6 why don't you read for us 17 and 18 talks about John the Baptist and something that happened in the life of John the Baptist. Right, Herodias. And, uh, um, it says, uh, but when Herod heard, therefore, he said, it is John which I beheaded. Uh, is that the, uh, yeah, right. That I have beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod had sent 
forth and laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So Herod had married his brother's wife. They were married. It says right there they were married. He had married her. But John the Baptist said it's not lawful. It's Philip's wife. It was Philip's wife, not Herod's. And so she was bound to Philip but married to Herod. And John said, that's not lawful. And so that's what we want to talk about. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back from this break, we want to talk about the distinction between being married and being bound. And and I think that is such an important consideration when it comes to uh, this subject. And so when we get back, we want to talk about being married and being bound and what are the similarities and differences of those two expressions. But we want you to get in on the discussion Call us, 931-381-4567, or send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, and we'll be right back after this break. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Do you remember when churches taught the truth in a straightforward and direct way with no sugarcoating? Can you recall when homosexuality was plainly condemned and unscriptural divorce and remarriage was not tolerated? Can you think back to a time when you heard hard sermons on moral issues like dancing, immodest dress, and filthy movies? Do you long for a return to the kind of teaching and preaching that you heard 30 or 40 years ago? The College View Church is trying hard to maintain the same moral principles that have been associated with God's people throughout the ages. They want to hold the line against the drifting that is characterized in so many churches today. Come and see. Visit the College View Church of Christ. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back, and thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're out there listening, and we hope that you'll participate. We want to get your input. We're ready to take emails from you or phone calls. The phone number is 931-381-4567, and the email address is questions at collegeview.com. Okay, uh, Arthur, before we went to that break, we were talking about the fact that there's a difference between being married and being bound. Um, let's talk, well, as we get into that, let's talk about the duration of marriage. Uh, Matthew 19.6 that you already quoted said, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so the general rule of God is that when you're married, you should not, divorce your wife you should not there there should not be a divorcing that's the general rule in fact i think we could honestly say that god's principal rule governing marriage is one man one woman for life that's his desire that's his plan and that ought to be the goal of everybody who enters into a marriage relationship and I mentioned earlier Malachi 2, 14 and 16 both you know where it says that god was a witness to that covenant And another thing it tells us, you know, there's no such thing as a divorce because he mentioned, and in Romans 1 and verse uh, 31, he has a catalog of sins there, and he says that they are worthy of death, not only those that uh, do them, but have pleasure in them that do them. And one of those things he mentioned there is a covenant breaker. You, You would be a covenant breaker if you divorce your wife for something other than fornication, which we'll get to a little bit later. You're a covenant breaker. And he says you're worthy of death. That's that's exactly right. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, where Paul says, The woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now notice this. She's bound. Notice this, this statement there in verse 2. The woman that has a husband is bound. There's a bond, there's a, bond a marriage bond that takes place. If, the, if her husband dies, she's loose from that bond. But if, while her husband is living, she is married to another man... She shall be called an adulteress. Now, get the scenario there. She's bound to that first husband, <clears throat> but she's married to another man, and that makes her an adulteress. I think that's, actually, I think that's the best biblical definition of adultery. 
And Greg, look, you look at it, bound by what? Bound by the bound by the law of God is what right. he has under consideration. So she's bound by the law of God, but she's gone off and married another man. Now, think about this. Think about how people today would view this. Here's this woman. She has a husband, but she decides to leave him, and she goes and marries another husband. And if you ask somebody, is she committing adultery? They typically would say, no, she's married to that guy. But but the Bible says she is committing adultery because she's still bound to that first husband. And so it's very, very important in discussions of marriage, divorce, and remarriage to understand this distinction between married and bound. Here in, in Romans chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, the woman who was adulterous was married to the second man, but she was still bound to the first man who was still living, and that made her an adulteress. That is adultery by the Lord's definition. And when you sometimes, well, I know on one occasion I had an individual come to me to uh, let me uh, try to tell him, you know, as to whether or not he could marry this person. And, you know, it was rather easy to be able to come to conclusion as to where, whether he could marry that person or not. I said, okay, the first individual that you married, I said, was any problem? You know, hadn't been married before. I, I said, you hadn't been married before? No, no, no problem. I said, okay, you were married. And I said, well, what was that divorce for? You know, fornication. I said, okay, go on to the next one. And he went on to the next one, and I said, what was that one for? Fornication? I say, okay, that's fine, because the Bible recognizes that, and you can marry this person. You know, you had to look to find out who the individual was bound to, not married to, but bound to. Okay, so what we're saying then is general rule, one man, one woman for life. God binds us together. I'm married to my wife, and I'm bound to my wife. If I divorce her without cause, I'm still bound to her. I can divorce her and become unmarried and then go marry somebody else. The Bible recognizes that terminology. I I could become unmarried to her and go off and marry somebody else, but I'm still bound to my first wife while married to my second one, and that makes me guilty of adultery. Herod was married. Herod was married to his brother's wife, but he was still. Uh, but it wasn't lawful. That's right. It wasn't lawful. They See, weren't they, bound. They were married, that's but right. it wasn't it lawful. They were married. That's right. exactly right. We just read that from Mark chapter six, verses seventeen and eighteen. Now, that marriage bond can be severed at death. We already read that in Revela- in Romans chapter seven, verses two and three. The marriage bond can be severed at death. If my wife dies, I'm not bound to her anymore. I'm not married. So let's say uh, that certain pray it wouldn't happen, but let's say my wife dies tonight. Then I end up to be a man not married anymore and not bound either, right? And so I uh, so then not married and not bound I'd be free to to seek another wife if I desired to do so. But the bond can be severed by death. Or by fornication. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. We've got another guest that's joined us. Mike Smith, a member of the church here, has come into the studio. Mike, thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study. Let me see Let me see if i got your mic up. Talk into that thing. Hi, Greg. How you doing? <laughs> Glad doing, to be here. Doing okay. Mike, read for us Matthew chapter 19. Uh, in fact, we might read a, a, a few of those verses there instead of just that verse. Let's start verse 3 and read through verse 9. Okay, Matthew 19, excuse me, beginning verse 3. And there came unto him Pharisees, trying him, and saying, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said, Have ye not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why then did Moses command to give a bill of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, for, the hard, for your hardness of heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it hath not been so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And he that marrieth her which is put away, committeth adultery. Okay. That's a really important passage when it comes to this question of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and we would encourage everybody who's listening certainly to pay special attention to Matthew chapter 9 with emphasis on verse 
9. But notice that what the Pharisees ask him in verse 3 is, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And and, And Jesus' answer was basically, no, it's not. Now, in the world today, we actually have what's called no-fault divorce. The world today would say, sure, put your wife away for any old cause and go get you another wife and you can do that just as often as you like. And unfortunately, we see people doing that all the time. But Jesus' basic answer here is no. God's plan is one man, one woman for life. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder, he says in verse 6. We already referenced that earlier and we emphasize it again. That's what God wants. One man, one woman for life. What he has joined together, let not man put asunder. But he offers... An exception to that general rule in verse 9. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now notice that he says, uh, think of the situation for the husband. If I put away my wife, and she has not committed fornication. Now understand fornication to be sexual immorality of some sort. So if my wife has not committed sexual immorality or fornication, if I put her away and marry another woman, I have committed adultery. Now, the similar statement is is made on the behalf of the wife in Mark chapter 10, verse 12. There's a very similar statement. It's made without exception. But it's stated in almost identical words in Mark chapter 10, verse 12. It says, if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So the same rule applies for husbands and wives. General rule is if you put away your mate and marry somebody else, you have committed adultery. The exception being if your mate has been sexually immoral. If, if, if for instance, if my wife was guilty of, of fornication, I could divorce her for that reason God would loose me from the bond that I was under the law. I was bound under the law concerning my first wife. But if she has committed fornication, I can divorce her for that cause. It has to be for that cause. Then I'm loosed from the bond and I'm free to marry again without sin. But what's the case with my, with my wife that I've put away, Arthur? The latter part of that verse says, And whosoever marrieth her who is put away doth commit adultery. And that would be the case there, that uh, the put-away person, if they remarry, they do commit adultery. Exactly right. Now, this fornication, as we said, is illicit, an illicit sexual relationship of some kind. Uh, fornication is a general term, uh, and specifics of that would include adultery, homosexuality, and so forth. All-inclusive. It's, all, it's an all-inclusive term, all, all sorts of sexual uh, Illicit sexual contact, I think, is the exact definition of that word. We might talk about that more if someone questions us later. But the statement clearly indicates, the statement in Matthew 19, verse 9, clearly indicates that if fornication is the cause, remember that was what the Pharisees were asking him in Matthew 19, 9, can a man divorce his wife for any cause? So they were asking about cause. So Jesus is saying it has to be for this cause. And if a man puts away his mate for this cause, then he he can marry again. The innocent person in such an episode is freed from the marriage bond and they can remarry without committing adultery. Now, I want to stress the, the, the order of events there. It must be like this. Two are married. One is guilty of fornication. The other divorces that one for that cause. And that innocent one who has put away their mate for fornication can remarry. Now, it cannot be in this order. Two people get married. Then they don't like each other, so they divorce. Later, one commits fornication, but it's after the divorce. The divorce wasn't for that cause. Later, one commits fornication, and the other one claims a right to remarry. That's not following the order of events there in Matthew 19.9, is it, Arthur? No, not at all. And you see how, how the wording there in verse 9 Whosoever shall put away his wife, you know, the emphasis is on the one who is doing the putting away. You know, you must be the one who puts away that unfaithful spouse in order for you to be able to, to remarry. And, you know, uh, 
you can see here that uh, all three laws are under consideration here in Matthew 19. Is you know back in in the beginning time he said in the beginning God made a male and female. And then he talked about the mosaical and then Christ says I say unto you. It's what Christ says to us now in Matthew 5 in talking about where that the reason that you can put them away is for fornication and, and to be able to remarry. There's nothing here in this statement of Jesus or any place else in the New Testament. There's nothing in Matthew 19 or any place else in the New Testament that would indicate that the guilty party who has been put away for fornication can remarry. We're going to talk more about that. The guilty party cannot remarry. But also a difficult but necessary conclusion is... That even an innocent party who has been divorced for some cause, obviously it have to be a cause other than fornication or they wouldn't be an innocent party. But an innocent party put away cannot remarry. I believe we can state it plainly this way, Arthur. No put away person can remarry. Exactly right. But you know, so many times you'll have people with... Uh uh, this uh, statement, uh, oh, I think God would want me to be uh, happy. I just don't believe God would do that, and life is unfair. That kind of thing's unfair. Well, when you just look at it, there's many things in our, our lifetime that's unfair. Well, you just driving down the road, and somebody runs into you and uh, calls you to be paralyzed the rest of your life. Is that unfair? Is that fair? No, it's so, not. So sometimes innocent people suffer exactly. the consequences of other people's sins, and that would be the case if an innocent yeah. person was put away by their mate. Mm-hmm. They were weren't guilty of fornication, but they were put away by their mate, then they would be in, a, in an unfortunate predicament. They would be suffering, but they'd, they'd be suffering the wrongs of someone else's sins. But that happens sometimes. And even an innocent put away person cannot remarry. It's time for us to go to another break. When we come back, we want to hear from you. We're getting some emails. We're going to go to those when we get back from the break. But you join in on this. Give us a phone call, 931-381-4567. Or email us to questions at collegeview.com, and we'll be right back. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Jacob Glenn with something for you to think about. The Chicago White Sox won the World Series recently, sweeping the Houston Astros in four games. White Sox fans are ecstatic as their team has won its first Major League Baseball championship since 1917. Many have waited years for this moment. While the World Series championship may seem like a big deal today, this championship will soon be forgotten by many. It won't be long until few will remember who won this year's World Series. Do you find that hard to believe? If so, do you remember who won the World Series last year? How about the year before? Or how about the World Series just 10 years ago in 1995? You see, the excitement of this year's World Series will soon be forgotten. The Bible uses the analogy of athletes competing for a championship in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. And like the World Series crown that is soon forgotten, this passage discusses the fact that athletes compete for a physical crown that corrupts or decays. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, where we read, Know ye not that they which run in the race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every one that striveth for mastery is tempered in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. We see the contrast here between things that are relatively inconsequential, a physical reward, with things that are of great consequence, an eternal spiritual reward. Just as this year's World Series will soon be forgotten, so will the significant accomplishments of our lives. In a few years, little will be remembered about what we accomplished on our jobs or in our community. Little will be remembered about the physical possessions we obtained. All of these will be of little consequence in just a few years from now. What will matter, on the other hand, is how we live our lives in obedience to God and the reward he gives to those who are faithful. That's what the Bible says. Think about it. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back, and we're uh, discussing an important Bible subject tonight. We're talking about the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We'd be glad to get your input as we're discussing this very important subject that touches the lives of, well, unfortunately, touches the lives of almost everybody these days. You, you, You can barely meet someone or talk to someone who does not have a divorce problem or a divorce situation somewhere near to them, if not personally, then with a uh, near family loved one or with some close acquaintance. It's a very prevalent problem in the world, and it's certainly a a subject that needs to be discussed. We've got an email that's come in from um, uh, Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee, and Keith asked the question. He says, a friend whom is a member of a denomination told me that if a couple repents of being married, 
more than once, that couple doesn't have to separate in order to be pleasing to God. I answered him that they're still sinning because they're living together and they truly haven't repented. Is there any advice you can give me to tell him? Now, what Keith is basically saying there is that you can repent of having divorced your wife and married somebody else. And then, based upon that, you can keep living with the person that you are living with. In other words, let's say that I, let's say that I, uh, some time ago, oh, maybe 20 years ago, I, I divorced my wife. She, you know, it wasn't because she had committed fornication. I just didn't like her anymore. She burned the biscuits, Arthur. You know, that old, that old common right. expression, she burned the biscuits. And the boy that made me mad, she burned the biscuits. And so I, I divorced her because of that. And then a few years later, I met this other lady and we decided to get married. Now, uh, you know, maybe I realize that I shouldn't have done that and I'm sorry, but, but I can, can I keep staying? Can I keep living with my current wife? Do you think I can? Uh, if I, if I divorce my wife, not for fornication, yeah. married another woman, even if, and, and now some years later, can I keep married? Can I stay married to that woman? No, no, you cannot because really have you repented? You know, repentance means, uh, discontinuing a thing. Uh, you know, just like, for instance, you use the example, if you stole a car and then you become a Christian, you know, would the car still be yours? Or would you need not, you'd need to return that and repent of the wrong that you'd done in stealing that car? Exactly right. And so I think the key answer to, uh, to your question, Keith, is the question of repentance. In other words, if, if a person acknowledges that I have engaged in a sinful divorce, I didn't have scriptural cause, and I divorced my wife not for fornication and married someone else. Now, that's what we said is the definition of adultery. I divorced my wife not for fornication, and I married someone else. I committed adultery when I did it. Now, in order to be forgiven of any sin, we understand that you have to repent of that sin. Forgiveness always demands repentance. And if I, how could I repent of that sin? Like you said, if I if I stole a car, I'd be expected to give it back, and 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 all such analogies that we might draw similar to that one. And so, if I have a wife that I don't have a lawful right to, remember Mark chapter six, uh, John the Baptist told Herod, "It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife." He said to Herod, "Got his head cut off because he said that." So, if I'm in a not lawful situation, then I got to get out of that situation. In order to truly repent, I can't continue to commit an unlawful act and and expect God to forgive me for it as I continue to commit it. So I've got to have forgiveness, and that would require me to cease the act. If I was a drunk and I wanted to be forgiven of being a drunk, I'd have to quit drinking. If I was a thief and I wanted to quit uh, and I wanted to be forgiven of being a thief, I'd have to repent of thievery. I have to quit stealing. And if I'm an adulterer, then I have to stop committing adultery uh, in order to be forgiven. In, in Romans chapter 7, where we read earlier, it says concerning a woman, if while her husband be liveth, uh, excuse me, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called. That's a present tense, present active tense verb indicating ongoing and ongoing activity she shall be called an adulteress as long as she's married to that man her husband her first husband still living she's bound to him she's married to this other man she's going to be continued to be called an adulteress while she stays married to that man and so in answer to keith's question no they can't they can't continue living together exactly as he said because they have not repented and i believe he's exactly right on that any thoughts arthur Oh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, but, you know, when you look at society or civil courts or, or uh, authority that we uh, govern us in civil matters, uh, they would say, yes, you can. You can get that divorce. You can marry them. And, you know, there's no trouble with that. And they recognize it as a marriage. But like we said, you know, in the beginning, it's not who you're married to, but it's who bound, who you're bound to that makes the difference. That's exactly right. We've got a question coming from Skip up in Greencastle, Indiana. Skip, we're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study tonight. And he's asking a question about the, the matter of fornication. 
He said, would the definition of fornication include a man? And I thought we might get this question, by the way, Arthur. He says, would the definition of fornication include a man who's deeply caught up in pornography? There can be levels of participation in pornography, and all are sinful. But I'm asking about a situation, he says, where the relationship between the husband and the wife is adversely affected by his involvement in pornography. Can she put him away for fornication? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm inclined to believe it's a matter of contact. Uh, You know, you could just look at a many a case where, uh, well, just for instance, uh, we're going to go back to uh, Matthew 5. He talks about there uh, where that uh, man who looks upon a woman to lust after is a committed adultery already with her in her heart. Uh, You know, how would you ever really... Uh, be able to know specifically the man had uh, committed adultery by looking at another woman. Uh, it just it just be hard to ever uh, say that uh, because a person looked and lust that uh, they would have committed uh, fornication and that'd be grounds for divorce. I, I I'm thinking it's contact. I, I believe that's right, and I believe that if you were to look at the lexicons and get the greek uh, definitions of the word pornea which is translated fornication then it does suggest the idea of illicit or illegal sexual contact there has to be contact there that's why we would say homosexuality would be fornication because it involves sexual contact between two people illegal illicit sexual contact Or if I went out and had an affair on my wife, had an affair with some other woman, I actually had contact, sexual contact with that other woman. That's fornication. But now I think Skip's right. I mean, you look at pornography, that's a sin. Matthew 5.28 says it's a sin to look on a woman and lust after her. Lasciviousness. It's lasciviousness. Well, yeah. And it's he even says it's adultery in the heart, but notice he didn't say it's adultery in the flesh. And so I I would not be comfortable uh, advising someone even if i mean it is absolutely horribly sinful for a man to be involved in uh, pornography and and we hear of episodes where the 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 relationship between husband and wife is is definitely harmed in the process but i do not believe the bible authorizes divorce for that reason now that's got to be that's that, that man needs to repent he better hurry up and do it too but he he i do not believe the wife could put away the husband in that case i don't believe we've got fornication by definition i don't believe we've got the cause that would allow divorce and remarriage you know i just happened to think of a passage greg and i might need a little help with this in first john 3 and verse 15 to be to develop this uh, thought completely he said to whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer hath eternal life and abiding in him would he really be a murderer would they carry him to court cause they hate his brother would he? Would he really? He's not. Be? He's not. A, he, God holds him accountable, but he's not a real murderer. That's right. And that would be the same thing. Same kind looking, of principle. Yeah, I think you're principle. right. I think you're right. We've got a question coming in from Dean. Dean asked the question: Many brethren have taken the position that one can be married a multiplicity of times prior to obeying the gospel, but once they become a Christian, they are authorized to stay with their current wife, even if they may not be lawfully married to him or her. Christ said, whosoever, Matthew 19.9. Furthermore, as you have pointed out, John the Baptist said that Herod was unlawfully married even before there were Christians. I wonder if these people would be consistent and say that the one who was a polygamist prior to converting to Christianity may keep multiple wives, or should he just have one wife? Well, I think Dean, he, he sort of answered his own question. I think I agree with his answers. This position that you can... Divorce and remarry as many times as you want before you become a Christian. But after you become a Christian, you've got to stay with the one you were married to when you became a Christian. I, I, that's just simply not taught in the New Testament. No, it's not taught in the New Testament. Uh, just for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9, 10, and 11. Uh, there he talks about the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, neither uh, fornicators, adulterers, adulterers, feminine, or abuse themselves, mankind. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But he said, such were some of you. So is he not indicating there that they were that at one time, but now they're not. They're justified. They're washed. They're sanctified in the name of the Lord uh, by the Spirit of our God. 
Exactly right. You know, the, the implication of that position is that people who are not Christians are not subject to the Lord's rules of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But if that was the case, then those people, before they became Christians, couldn't have been guilty of adultery. The fact that they were guilty of adultery before they became Christians there, where you just read in 1 Corinthians 6, indicates that, that the Lord held them accountable to his marriage law, even before they became Christians. Greg, Matthew 19, 9, was said, whosoever, exactly who right. would whosoever be? Exactly. I think it's the same thing as John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son, that whosoever believeth him shall not perish but have everlasting life that's the same word whosoever there in john three sixteen, and what is in there in matthew 19 and 9 exactly all right. inclusive it is. so all people are subject to christ's law and therefore they would have to repent in order to become a christian one of the steps in the plan of salvation is repent of your sins jesus said i mean uh peter said in acts 238 repent and be baptized everyone in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and so you have to repent as you obey the gospel, and that means you you would have to repent of committing adultery. Well, we're ready for our final break. We're going to go to that. When we come back, we want to hear from you. Uh, give us a call, 931-381-4567, or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We want to hear from you, and we'll be right back after this break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Me again, Mike Smith at the College of Church of Christ. Let me ask you some more questions. Do you remember when the pulpit was used for the purpose of convicting sinners and teaching them how to be saved? Are you tired of preachers who seem more inclined to entertain their audience than to teach them the truth? Does it seem that sermons you are, te- you are hearing each week could as easily be given in a PTA meeting or a social club? Do you remember when sin was called sin, and at the end of the sermon you knew, by book, chapter, and verse, what the preacher was talking about and why? Well, we're still preaching the old Jerusalem gospel that you read about in your Bible. We invite you to investigate for yourself. Please come and see the Sunday at the College of the Church of Christ at 9.30 a.m. on Hampshire Pike. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College of the Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College of the Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College of the Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. My name is Roger Toombs and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back. We're going to go to the top of the hour talking about an important Bible subject, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We've got Arthur Haynes here in the studio with me, one of the elders of the College View Church. We've got Mike Smith here, one of the members of the College View Congregation. We're glad that you fellows are here. We want to hear from you. We'd love to get an email. We got an email from Kay in Austin, Texas, who writes, here's a real-life scenario. You guys, now... You know, we sometimes say, Arthur, that you have to have the wisdom of Solomon to untangle some of these things. So let's see if we can tap into your you guys' wisdom here. Here's a real-life scenario that I have a question about. Two eligible elderly people agree to become husband and wife. So they're eligible. They have a right to marry. They, they, they file with the county courthouse for a marriage license, and they go through a ceremony. But, she says, they're unable to consummate the marriage and then decide to annul the marriage after a few weeks. Would you say they are bound to each other? Mike, go ahead. Well, first of all, the the Bible doesn't talk about annulment. The marriage talks about marriage and divorce and remarriage, but the word annulment is is foreign to the Scriptures. So um, I would say that that's not a scriptural procedure. 
I think that's. I think I would agree with you also, Arthur. Go ahead. You know, really, where is it that uh, you find in the Bible that uh, for marriage to be uh, in its completeness, that there must be a consummation? I, I just don't. Uh, I don't read that. I don't understand that to, for the Bible to teach that. So you mentioned earlier that divorce is a covenant breaking. In other words, that elderly couple that described in that scenario, they made a covenant with one another. And for them to break it, they're, they're covenant breakers. You know, So that divorce, it's a sin to divorce. Now, they might be trying to make something out of the fact that they were physically unable to have the sexual union, to con- the, what, what people have called consummating the marriage. Well... I don't read about that in the scripture. Now, I believe that a husband and wife who are physically capable of doing so are obligated by God to provide for one another's needs, sexual needs. Romans or First Corinthians chapter seven, <laughs> verses two through five would teach that. So, in other words, here, if a man and woman have the the physical ability to engage in sexual activity, then they're they're expected to do that. That's part of God's plan. But there's nowhere in the Bible that tells me that if a person was physically unable to perform uh, uh, in, in that relationship, that they couldn't still be married. What, what, if, a, what if a man was uh, uh, paralyzed and unable to, uh, to engage in sexual activity? He could still make a covenant with a woman to be his wife. And so I, this, this idea that if if a marriage hasn't been consummated in the sex act therefore it's not a marriage yet i don't i don't know how you could prove that from the scriptures any any thoughts i might say that if they are bound if they are married and scripturally married and bound to each other by god and then if they if one of them does not commit fornication then they are breaking the the law that christ gave in matthew 19:9 the only exception or the only a rule for divorce is for fornication. I believe that's exactly and, right. And you know, Greg, uh, the marriage vows were said. You know, they have them to say the you know the things that uh, like uh, in sickness and health until death do us part, and those things that you say in uh, making it a marriage. And then when you say those things, it, uh, Malachi says this is a covenant, and God is a witness to that covenant. And fully, I'm, I'm believing that you are a married person uh, when that ceremony is over and that uh, person who's conducting that uh, ceremony says you're a man and wife. I believe at that moment you are man and wife. That is based on that you was uh, able to be scripturally married. Okay, I want to go to a question. I have we haven't gotten this question, but I want to go to this question because I I find I'm hearing at least that it's becoming an increasing problem among some of our own brethren. Mike and Arthur, join in on this. If you're listening out there, send us an email. Give us your thinking on this. What about the idea that a person could divorce not for fornication, and and it's okay to divorce as long as you don't remarry. In fact, some brethren are saying, you know, it might be necessary to divorce because maybe your mate is trying to prevent you from being the kind of Christian that you ought to be. For instance, maybe a woman, a woman who's a Christian is married to a man and he, he doesn't want her to go to church. He doesn't want her to contribute into the treasury. He doesn't want her to do the things that a Christian is necessarily obligated to do. And so she can put him away. Now, she can't remarry because she didn't put him away for fornication. The only way you could remarry is if you put away for fornication. But she could divorce him, and as long as she never remarried, it would be okay. What about that? Mike? Divorce is still not okay except for fornication. If you uh, divorce today, they have a, a common cause called irreconcilable differences. That is not a scriptural concept. Uh, the only scriptural concept is to divorce for fornication. And in that case, the, the guilty party cannot remarry. Okay, I think you're right. I'd agree with you. What about, Arthur, what about the idea that you can divorce and as long as you don't remarry, it's not a sin to divorce as long as you don't remarry? Uh, Paul, in uh, writing to the Corinthians in chapter 7, verse 10 and 11, he said, Unto the married I command ye, not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. You know, it seems to me that it's rather hard to misunderstand. Kind of old saying, what part of no do you not understand? 
he's saying there, I, I command, he said, unto the married, I command ye not, not, don't, not, don't mean, means don't do it, don't do it. What well, just for instance, you look at First uh, John 2, uh, 1 there, he, he talks about, uh, uh, my little children, I have you to sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Is that permission to sin because you have an advocate with the Father? Well, no, it's not. Neither is this permission to put away just because you don't remarry. He said, don't do it. That means don't do it, whatever it might be. And we know that this is different from Matthew 19 and 9 because the case there is Christ allowed them to because it was fornication. So fornication is not involved here because he said don't do it. And if he's not teaching something contrary to what Christ taught. Okay. So when it says, you know, I, I may be looking at this in a very simplistic way, but I believe it's simple enough. When it says to the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord let not the wife depart from her husband. So when when it says don't do something and you do it, isn't that by definition sin? It says don't depart. And so if I if I was to depart, uh, then that would be that would be a sin because I did what the Bible said don't do. Isn't that right? Isn't that's pretty simple? But that that would be the truth, wouldn't it? And I was teaching that one time uh, years ago and. Uh, is talking about where it says don't do it. You know, how can you misunderstand that? Don't do it. That means don't do it. Oh, and he spoke up and said, oh, so you just never seen a battered wife. You know, well, that, well, you know, when you start thinking about it, if a battered wife would come under that, how many more things would come under that very same topic, you know? How many well, things could you get a divorce And, and, and for? we're not just to find a, a, a man who who's, abuses his wife. But we're not. What we're saying is the scriptures teach one cause for divorce. Exactly. We, now let's go to the other. Let's see. We're getting an email here. Uh, oh, we've got a we've got a follow up uh, from Kay. Uh, she says, "I heard the answer to your question." She was asking about that elderly couple and the annulment. She says, "Doesn't Jesus state that the two shall be one flesh is a necessary component for God joining a man and woman together?" Matthew nineteen one through nine. Please define the two become one flesh. Well, Jesus was actually quoting there from Genesis chapter 2. That was the statement in Genesis 2. A man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I believe that one flesh does have, it does include the notion of the sexual union in marriage, but I don't believe it's the sum total of that. In other words, one flesh is basically the idea of being as if they were one person. They become bound together. And so, no, I do not believe the one flesh uh, uh, teaches the necessity of sexual union in order to make marriage marriage. Now, again, married partners are obligated to fulfill one another's sexual needs in so much as they're able. But what if what if a person's mate? What if a person's mate became physically unable, maybe very sick or some problem caused them to be unable to have sexual relationship? They're not married anymore. They're not one flesh anymore because they can't commit the sexual act. No, I, I, I just don't believe that the one flesh is exclusively talking about the, the, the sexual union in marriage. Uh, got another follow-up. This follow-up's from Dean, who emailed earlier. He says, I have another question. Paul chastised the Corinthians for not dealing with one who engaged in fornication, 1 Corinthians 5. He even told them to withdraw from that individual. If a couple are in an unlawful marriage and will not repent, what should we do? Well, we can't have fellowship with those who are in sin and will not repent. And I think that'd be closely parallel to the situation that existed there in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So I think the answer to Dean's question would be, yeah, you'd have to withdraw from them. If they're, if they're in the fellowship of the church and, and they are engaged in an unlawful, and, and, they, and it's, it's discovered that they're in an unlawful marriage and they won't repent, then you couldn't continue to fellowship that situation. You don't have no choice. And, and for another reason, Greg, that's to try to get that person, you know, to make correction. 
And another one reason is for the purity of the church. Exactly right. That's what's taught there concerning the discipline of unfaithful church members in First Corinthians 5. Well, our time is up. We appreciate Mike. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Arthur, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. We talked about an important subject. We, I, we did not discuss every aspect of the marriage, divorce, marriage problem, but we've, we've touched some of those things. We've talked about some of the important underlying principles. There may be more questions, and I have a feeling we might likely have to deal with this on another edition of the virtual Bible study at some point in the future, but we've had a good discussion. We're glad for all of you who've joined us by the internet and for those of you who've sent in emails. Uh, tell others about the virtual Bible study. Lord willing, on every Thursday night, we'll be here at uh, 8 o'clock Central Time for the virtual Bible study. And so we hope you'll join us again next week. Until that time, read your Bibles every day. Live by what's taught there. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.